0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. From Luke's Gospel in the fourth chapter, we begin in verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and the report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. When we lived in New York City, I remember very, very clearly that uh, when you met someone for the first time, there were always two questions that you asked reflexively. The first one is, what is your name? The second question is, what do you do, right? So work, right, work, a job, was an important marker of your identity. Now, what do you do seems like a simple enough question, but it's actually not that easy of a question to answer. Back then, I was serving at a church where I was a pastor for young adults, and a lot of them were hesitant to answer this second question. Some of them had come to New York from a long way away to make it in the theater world or in dance or in the visual arts, but in the meantime they were waiting tables or tending bar or or working retail to make ends meet in that incredibly expensive place. So what do you say? How do you answer the question if what you long to do is not what you're doing? How do you answer the question if you're in some soulless, mind-numbing job hoping and working and praying that something will come through soon? What do you do? I learned pretty quickly in New York that the best way to shut down a conversation at a bar was to tell someone that I was a pastor. (laughs) So I would lie. Uh, I would say, I'm a teacher. Uh, or I work in the garment district, I'm a man of the cloth. Uh, or, Or once I recall telling someone that I sold indulgences, which I think they thought was some complex financial instrument. So I would occasionally actually tell people that I was a pastor and, and actually, the worse than even having someone turn away is actually having someone take an interest in you at that point. Because inevitably, 45 minutes later, I'm listening to them unload all of their baggage about organized religion uh, on top of me. What do you do? It's a good question. I love the way that author and conservationist Terry Tempest Williams answers the question. She says, I was at a party... And someone said to me, so what do you do? And I said, about what? (laughs) And they just looked at me like, excuse me, what planet do you live on? But she says, it just showed me. It showed me. It's like, what do you do? What do we do? She says, I'm just in the vitality with the struggle. Yes yes i'm just in the vitality with the struggle what do you do it's not a question that's really about a job it's what are you doing with your life what are you doing with this thing that you've been given with this beating heart and this capacious body and this lovely brain this gift of a being that you have what will you do with it i don't want to i don't want to know who signs your paycheck I want to know to whom you've signed your soul. I don't want to know who pays you, but I want to know to what and to whom are you paying attention. This David White prose poem that Beth read just a minute ago takes this beautifully expansive approach to life at work. White starts with this familiar word, ambition, a word that all of us know. But as he spins it out and as he turns it around, before you know it, lovely, strange, wonderful thoughts and ideas keep flying out. A whole universe of meaning. Ambition, he says, has no answer for our deep questions about work, for the whys and the what-fors. You work, but but not for money and not for goals and not for rewards, but because deep down you are called. Each of us is called. White says a calling is a conversation between our physical bodies, our work, our intellects and our imaginations and a new world that is itself the territory we seek. We don't just have a job, he says. We are called to a vocation, and that vocation includes the heart-rending way we will fail at our attempt to live our lives fully. A true vocation metamorphoses both ambition and failure into compassion and understanding for others. Yes, your calling Your vocation is inclusive of your work for sure, but it is much more than that. We will switch jobs every four years. We could have 15 or 20 employers when our working life is over. We will have periods of underemployment and even unemployment. But through all of it, each of us still has a calling Because the calling is from God, and it is your invitation not to a job, but to a sacred journey of becoming. So the next time someone asks you, What do you do? the answer is, I exist. I have gifts, I use them. I make something, I create what did not exist before, I fail, I'm frustrated, I struggle, I grow, I'm learning to give myself away. That's what we do, it's what we are all called to do, and I'll grant you, that's a hard answer to give someone at the bar. But it is the right answer. Work is your journey of discovery. It's the unfolding over time of a mystery that is no less than the identity of yourself coming into its being. So I've always wondered why Christians don't look to Jesus more for vocational guidance. I mean, when it comes to deciding who to vote for, we say, What would Jesus do? Even when we figure out what car we're going to drive, we say, Well, what would Jesus drive? But when it comes to asking for job advice, we don't ask Jesus. I guess nobody thinks an itinerant unemployed woodworker who spends much too much time fishing, right, could possibly have any good job advice. But he does. So think about it this way. Do you ever wonder how Jesus figured out how to be Jesus? Like, you think it's hard for you to figure out your vocational path, right? Like, how easy do you think it really was for Jesus to settle in on being the Messiah, huh? Like, there is so much for us to learn by reflecting on Jesus' own vocational journey. Let's begin with the fact that he left his first job, right? The job that he was actually trained to do, the one he was qualified for. We know that Joseph, his father, was a woodworker, likely some kind of builder in the construction trade. Jesus would have been apprenticed in that trade, yet he walked away from it. Like, for all we know, Jesus was a terrible woodworker, right? Or maybe he hated it. Even if he was great at it, we know that something about that job was not right. We also know that stepping out of the job we thought we would always do the job we were trained to do, the job our parents expect us to do, takes great courage. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But Jesus doesn't go straight into his next gig, does he? He doesn't jump from one job right into the next. He kind of goes a wall, and he ends up standing by the Jordan River listening to John the Baptist heckle people and douse them with water. And as Jesus is watching and listening, he starts to feel something inside. Something comes alive in Jesus in that moment. John is talking about real things about God and about integrity and about what a life is really for. What do you do, John asks, when the direction of your life doesn't match your values? You repent. You turn around and go in a new direction. And so Jesus himself wakes up. He steps into the water. He's baptized by John and by the Holy Spirit. This is the moment when Jesus gets his new identity. It's his true self. The voice from God says, You are my beloved child. I've got to believe this was a validating moment for Jesus. A sign that he was on the right path, having left his career. He says, this is who I am, really. It's a touchstone he will come back to again and again throughout his life when the world around him gets chaotic. I am a beloved child of God. But in terms of what this new identity means for his working life, Jesus has no idea, right? I mean, you can know who you are and have no idea what to do with that. In the very next moment, Jesus is led from the waters of the Jordan, where? Into the wilderness, right? So you get your new identity. Everything seems great, but if your path is anything like Jesus' path, it gets worse and harder before it gets better and easier. The wilderness is full of wild beasts, and, and of course, Satan is there. What happens to Jesus in the wilderness, I think, also happens to us all. At some point, we get tested. Will he turn stone into bread? Will he jump off the temple and save himself? Will he take power over all the kingdoms of the world? What won't you do, Jesus? What are my limits? That's a question you have to answer, too. What must I say no to? Because if I said yes, I would lose my true self in doing it. Jesus makes it through. He makes it out of the wilderness. He is stronger and clearer And so in today's lesson, he he goes back to his hometown to try on this new calling that he's got. He shows up at the local synagogue. He's in the middle of worship. And he is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which some of you know is like 60 plus chapters long, right? And Jesus could have opened any place in the scroll. And he opens, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and sits down. I think in many ways this becomes sort of a personal mission statement for Jesus. And it makes me think of what David White says. Calling is a conversation between our physical bodies, our work, our intellects and imaginations, and a new world that is itself the territory we speak. The new world. Isaiah saw it. And Jesus saw it too. The vision of the new world that God is creating that is so much bigger than any of us, but absolutely includes us. I'm one of those people who is quite convinced that Jesus had no idea how to be the Savior of the world. Yes, he had skills and gifts, incredible ones. But there was no clear path about how to use them. I do believe that he had to make it up as he went along, which is what all of us have to do for our own callings. To be courageous, to be creative to be equipped with a sense of our true self and also our limits, and to always have in front of us a vision of the new world that God is creating in us and through us. It was never obvious for Jesus, and it was rarely easy for him either, Sometimes it strikes me, and I get overwhelmed thinking that Jesus very well could have gotten vocationally lost. He could have given in to a path of less resistance. Listen to the voices who told him to raise up an army or the ones that told him to keep his voice down. And yet we see in the Gospels that Jesus does, in fact, become himself. He finds his vocation thanks be to God. Again, listen to David White. A true vocation calls us out beyond ourselves. It breaks our heart in the process and then humbles, simplifies, and enlightens us about the hidden core nature of the work that enticed us in the first place. We find that all along we had what we needed from the beginning and that in the end we have returned to its essence, an essence we could not understand until we had undertaken the journey. It was true for Jesus and it is true for all of us. There is no doubt if you talk to any young person who is in the process of vocational discernment, that we live in a world in which it is hard to figure out what we are supposed to do. Young adults today face extraordinary challenges. Educational debt is out of control. Job security is low. Right to work and other anti-labor laws have eroded wages and benefits. And today's generation is the first in American history that should not expect to be wealthier than their parents. So what do you do? We embrace the search for vocational identity as an explicitly spiritual journey How are you becoming yourself? How are you honoring your gifts and recognizing your weaknesses? How do you fit into this world? How is this vast tissue of life dynamically and interdependently composed and how are you connected to it? And what is the vision of the new world that you hold in front of you that draws you forward. Just a few days ago, we lost one of the great American poets, Mary Oliver. And I point you back to her work. But I'll close with her words from one of her most famous poems called The Summer Day Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life?